Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. Welcome to Sunday School at Calvary. We uh, seem to be down in number today. I was waiting a couple of minutes, a little late getting started to see if some more would walk in. That's not a good habit to get into. Uh, I like starting on time, but several folks called, texted, so many sick and several out of town. But we're here and God's here, and I have a word from the Lord. Amen. That's all we need, right? You and me and the Lord. Why don't we stand and just make sure the Lord knows that uh, he not only is welcome here, but he's in charge. That's the way I feel about it. I hope that you do too. I know that you do. Let's just tell the Lord that as we open with prayer this Sunday school class this afternoon. Lord, we love you and thank you for all you do for us. What a great thing it is to be in your presence, to know you, to be called by your name, to be a part of your family. And the list of blessings from being in relationship with you just goes on and on and on. And we thank you for all of those things. All of those wonderful blessings, not the least of which is we get to partake in your precious holy word as we eat the bread of life and apply it to our lives. God, our lives become so blessed thereby. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Thank you, Lord, for knowing us. Thank you for loving us. We ask that your word today would be imparted in the way that you would have it to be. In this class, let your spirit Send your word deep into our hearts. Let it be beneficial. God, let it bear the fruit that you want it to in our lives. And we'll know that that blessing from your hand will be so welcome and so great. And we acknowledge your goodness by giving it to us. We thank you for it. Let your will be done here today. In Jesus' name we pray. And Somebody said, amen. If you don't mind remaining standing, if you're able. If you're not, we understand for a... Uh, text that I'd like to read, John chapter 15 and verse 7, John 15 and 7, and it reads, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Isn't that a great promise from the word of the Lord? Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm going to speak to you today from this subject why won't my faith work? If you are a child of God today, if you're a Christian walking in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, whether you have been doing that for the past week or the past your entire lifetime or anything in between those two points, I know without a doubt, that you have faced times in your life when you, uh, maybe you didn't do it physically, but mentally scratched your head and said, I'm, I'm just confused, I'm perplexed, I'm wondering why uh, everybody at church, the preacher, the Lord says, I've got faith, I use my faith, and good things happen in my life. I just wonder why. It doesn't seem to be working the way I think it's supposed to work, this thing called faith and how to use it and how to receive things from God. We know that we receive things from God by faith, amen? Uh, we're saved 
by faith. That's how it all starts off when we enter into this relationship with Jesus. And it just goes from there as we walk day to day with the Lord. It is, it is a walk of faith. So I'm going to talk today and perhaps answer some of your questions you may have had about those times when it seemed like uh, you tried to have faith to believe God for something. Maybe you prayed a prayer or perhaps you looked at something in the Word of God, a promise of God, and you expected it to uh, be fulfilled in your life, whatever it is, and it just seemed to you that your faith wasn't working. Let's, let's talk about maybe why that is and, and how to correct the situation. I want to uh, turn to Luke chapter 17 and read verse 5. Brother, put that up for us. Um, the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. And then what did he say? The Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto the sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Now, that seems to me like a strange lesson uh, or a strange example that Jesus would give his disciples who come to him with this very valid, very legitimate request, Lord, increase our faith. At this time, uh, the Lord, this is the 17th chapter of Luke, so they've been together for a couple of years at least, Jesus and his 12 disciples, and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God and the things of God uh, that were brand new to the Jews, and he was trying to establish the fact and the understanding in their mind that he did not come at that time to, as they said, restore again the kingdom to Israel. You see, Israel was under Roman dominion. The Roman Empire extended far and wide, and Israel was one of those nations that Rome had conquered with their marauding armies, and they were subservient to, they served the Roman emperor or were under his uh, his dictatorship along with most of the then known civilized world. And they hated it. Like every country or most every country that is conquered by another one, they did not like that. That always brought unpleasant things to their lives. And so when Jesus came, they thought, they knew he was the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament, but they thought that he was going to deliver them from Rome. Uh, whether he was going to literally lead a, a bloody revolution and they were going to have to fight battles like most countries uh, get themselves out from under uh, tyranny from some other nation or power or some other way. But he had to spend three or three and a half years, that's how much time he spent with his disciples, instructing them and getting them to get out of that mode of thinking and into thinking correctly that he had come to establish the kingdom of God in the earth, but it wasn't at this time. Now, it will be in the future. But then, from then until now, it's the same now, the kingdom of God is not and was not a physical one, but a spiritual one in the hearts 
of human beings. And it was, uh, it was a, a kingdom that they had never heard of before. They had never uh, thought of anything like that. And so faith was one of those things that he had to teach them. And so they were just coming into an understanding about this thing called faith, believing God, trusting in God. Faith, the best definition I can think of for faith is simply believing God's word. Or, to put it more personal, believing that God will do what he has said he would do. Okay, I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. So the disciples came to him and said, increase our faith. You know, we're learning about this. And he gave them this strange example. He said, well, uh, you can, if you have just a small, minuscule bit of it, uh, the seed, what did he say, of a sycamine tree? And another example in another of the four Gospels, he said, uh, he said it like this, if you just had faith, uh, just the littlest amount that's as much as a grain of a mustard seed, which is one of the tiniest seeds known to man. If you have just that much faith, you can walk by uh, this, this sycamine tree. No, I got it wrong. He did say the seed of a mustard seed. You can speak to a sycamine tree and, and tell it to uproot itself and go be replanted in the ocean, which was a strange illustration. And, and I guess he used such a strange story to tell them, example, so they could believe that God can do anything. In another example, he said, you can speak to the mountain and the mountain be removed and cast into the sea. So the point I'm making is he told them that even the smallest amount of faith is enough to move a mountain. And what I'm trying to say to you here this afternoon is think about this. You really don't need more faith. We all have enough already. We just need to learn how to use it. Okay? Now, I spoke a moment ago about God's promises. God is a God of promises, and he's made a ton of them. Uh, somebody counted. Uh, I didn't do this, but somebody counted. There are over a 1,000 promises in the Bible. Did you know that? And, of course, those are all promises made by God to us, to the human race. Now, there's two kinds of promises that God has made in his word. Number one is called conditional, if. In other words, if certain circumstances exist, then God will do that. Most of the time it has to do with us. If you will do this or say this, then God will do that or say that or bring to pass whatever. That's conditional, an if promise. There are conditions. means the promise can only come to pass. God can only fulfill it if certain things happen. And most of the time it uh, has to do with us doing those certain things or thinking or saying certain things. The second kind of promise in the Word of God that God has made are unconditional promises. That means 
the, the promise maker or the promise giver is going to do it regardless of the actions of the receiver of the promise. Uh, for example, uh, number one, God says, if you'll do this, I'll do that. Uh, one example of that from the Scripture, God said in the Old Testament, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray, turn from their wicked ways, then, there's that if-then uh, relationship, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, I will heal their land. Wonderful verse containing that wonderful promise in the Old Testament. Here's a, uh, the second kind, which is unconditional. God says, I'm going to do it no matter what. It's not dependent on you or me or our faith or whether we believe he's going to do it or not. Some examples of those kinds of promises that God has made in his word are he's never going to lie. Doesn't matter what you or I do, he will never lie. Number two, he will always keep his word. Uh, another one is he has promised he's going to come again for his church. Aren't you glad about that? Doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter what the devil does. Doesn't matter what you and I do. Now, we can be in it or we can miss it, but he's coming back for a church without spot and wrinkle. Another thing that he has promised that is an unconditional promise. It's going to happen no matter what. He will destroy this world and create a new one. Peter said there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. This one's going to be destroyed by fire. Let's look real quick. I'm going to read them real quick, some promises that came out of the mouth of Jesus when he was on earth. John 14, verse 13, and these signs, or, I'm, I'm sorry, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining some of these promises, but real quickly, you may say, well, I've asked in Jesus' name for something and God didn't do it. Well, when it says, ask in my name, it doesn't mean just say in the name of Jesus when you ask. Just those words coming out of your mouth in Jesus' name. Now, we do that, and it's fine. The Lord's okay with us saying those words every time we pray or every time we ask Him for something. But just the words coming out of our mouth isn't what He meant by asking in His name. Now, real quickly, a, a person's name, especially back then more so than now, a person's name represented their entire reputation their authority, the power that they had, whatever it was, their wealth, or if they were in position in government or in politics or whatever. Uh, and so when Jesus said, pray in my name, it means so much more than just say the words in Jesus' name. It means a lot of things. But uh, let's go on to some more promises. Mark 16 and verse 17, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up Serpents, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Mar uh, John 16, verse 23. In that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive that your joy 
may be full. So the Lord's given us some wonderful promises. But let's go to back to our text. The very first one I read, put that up, brother, uh, John 15 and 7. And let's just dissect it a little bit and see about this thing of making our faith work better. He said, number one, here's, here's the word if, so you know it's one of those which kind? Conditional promise. That's right. It's got conditions attached to it. If you abide in me. Now, what does that mean? Well, I, I believe it means you've got to know who you are in God. You've got to know where you are in Christ. Just what does that mean to abide in me? 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, I'm going to come back to this a little bit later. But this is important for us to get. It's a condition of praying and asking God for things and getting what we ask for, having our prayers answered. Secondly, put up. Uh, John 15, 7 again, he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you can ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. My words abide in you. Now, this is going to be a review for everybody here, but reminder is good for us because we, call, we can all improve. And if you think, oh, here goes Pastor again on this, another hobby horse of his. It's not really my hobby horse. It's the Lord's. When he said, my words have to abide in you, it meant the degree to which you live your life and the time that you give and effort and thought and desire and prayer to knowing and applying what is in this book, the Word of God. If you spend five or six hours a day watching television and movies or reading things that aren't spiritual and 15 minutes a day reading the Bible or less than that, you're not going to have the faith that you need to have, or at least you're not going to know how to how to use the faith, it ain't going to work like it's supposed to work. You only have 24 hours in every day. Uh, let's say seven or eight hours of that should be spent sleeping. you got to spend some time preparing and then feeding fuel to your body, eating, taking care of other things, uh, personal uh, hygiene and grooming and things like that. Uh, add on to that, if you uh, are still in your working career and have to work for a living, uh, that's a significant chunk of time. You only have so much time that is outside of absolutely necessary things to take up your time. And how you use that time is so vitally important to your spiritual well-being that is going to live forever somewhere. We spend an awful lot of time taking care of this flesh, feeding it, cleaning it, bathing it, giving it rest, and so forth, when, when uh, that's not going to matter, as we say down south, a hill of beans. Uh, 
after this life is over and you get into eternity. How much time are you spending on eternal things that will determine your spiritual outcome forever? One of the main things that you must invest your time in is this book, the Word of God. And to the degree that you do that, to the degree your faith's going to work. I could just shut it down, close my Bible right now and say that Bible lesson's done. I just said it all in that one sentence. But let's talk about it some more. The neglect, if you neglect the reading and the feeding and the meditating and studying and praying out the Word of God, you're going to suffer for it. Your faith is going to suffer for it. If you don't know what the Word says, uh, you're, you're just not going to be able to pray very effectively and have those prayers answered because your faith will not be working at full steam the way God intended for it to. So uh, look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 130. He says, the entrance of thy words giveth light or understanding. And then he actually says it. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Let's reverse back to verse 105 in that same chapter. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If the word of God is in you to the degree that it should be, then you will be walking in the light and praying in the light. In other words, with understanding, understanding how the things of God work in this world and in your life. Did you know some people pray, they, they pray, but they pray in darkness because they don't have enough of the word and its understanding in them to appropriate the things of God by faith in their lives. When God's Word gets in you, then you will pray in line with His Word. Uh, that's why it's so important. He said when you pray, pray. Uh, he gave the model prayer. One of those parts of that prayer was pray, Thy kingdom come, God. Your will be done on earth as it is already being done in heaven. And that's so very important. A lot of times we're praying in the dark. We're praying, uh, how did James say it, amiss, or we're praying wrong. I'll just say it that way because our praying, our asking is not in line with what God's Word says. So it is very important. If you want your faith to work, if you want your prayers to be answered, then you've got to get in God's Word. You've got to get to know it. You've got to, uh, I, as a pastor, I encourage everyone to get in it every day. You know, man, I go back to we feed our flesh so much. Uh, I like to play uh, this game on the computer, and, and sometimes I get convicted if I spend more time on that than I should and less time in spiritual things, the Word of God. Uh, I'm flesh too, just like all of you. But watch that. Uh, note that. See if you are spending time in the Word of God as you should. Uh, that is how Jesus said, uh, my words abide in you. If that happens, that's how that happens, by you spending time in God's Word. Uh, if, you, if you hit a bump in your prayer life, a speed bump, or it seems like maybe your prayers aren't getting through, 
Uh, it could be take spiritual inventory, and it could be that you've been lacking spending time in the Word like you should have because the degree or the level of the Word of God that's in your mind and your heart will directly determine the degree to which your faith will work, okay? So don't let the enemy, don't let your flesh keep you from uh, losing out the power and the authority and the effectiveness of your faith, your prayers getting answered by you being short on the Word. It's time to put the Word of God first place in our lives. Sometimes we want other people to do our studying for us. Well, I'll go to church. The preacher will preach, and he'll teach. Go Wednesday night and get the Word of God there. Uh, you know what? You ought to go home. Every church service you attend, you ought to go home after that service and look up every scripture a preacher uses in his sermon or Bible lesson. Read it again. Study it. Ask God to, to give you better understanding of it. Uh, another a bit of advice, you need to pray the Word. That is so powerful to take the Word of God and pray it. And even one step further than that, this is personal with me, but I like to on a regular basis pray the prayers, some of the prayers that people prayed in the Word. One of them I like to pray, uh, one of the people that I like to pray his prayers I guess the most, is the Apostle Paul. He wrote half the books of the New Testament, mighty man of God. Don't you think he knew how to pray? I sure hope he did. Uh, let, this is uh, just a couple of his prayers. He wrote several of the churches in the New Testament, those epistles he wrote. And he said, I'm praying for you, and this is what I'm praying. And he actually told them exactly what he was praying. I'm going to read a couple of them, Ephesians 1, 17. He said, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Next verse. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. He said, I'm praying this for you, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power in your life he said i'm praying these things for you wow what powerful prayers can you imagine if you would pray those prayers and god would answer that prayer and bring that stuff to pass in your life and in your family's lives Let's go to another one in the same book, chapter 3, verse 16. I'll go real fast. He said, I'm praying that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in your inner man and that Christ would dwell in your heart by faith and that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Powerful prayers. He said, I'm praying that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. Finally, and to know, I'm praying for you to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. If God just brought to pass that one prayer that you pray for yourself and your family, that you and that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. I can't even begin to imagine really what that means. 
but I know it's good. It's real good. I pray these prayers and two or three other of Paul's prayers every month. It's on my calendar, on my phone, to pray these prayers from the Word for myself and my family and for this church family. And uh, I, I think it would be really good for you to do that too. I'm encouraging you to do that. It'll help your faith be aggressive. The more of God's Word you know, it makes your faith aggressive. It makes you bolder in asking things. And isn't that what the Lord said to us in the New Testament, that we would come to the throne of grace boldly to find help in time of need? If you want to be bolder in your prayer life, get more of the Word in you. Because when your faith loses that, when your faith loses its aggressiveness, that means one thing. It means your flesh has more control over you than it should, than you want it to. And if you're living more in the flesh than in the spirit, then spiritual things are going to take second place in your life and the natural things are going to play, take first place. And that's not a good thing. Because when natural things, things of the flesh, physical senses, those things take first place in your life, then that's evidence that the spiritual side of your life, the divine, the God side of your life is losing out. And that's when we lose our spiritual initiative. That's when our prayers get weak. That's when our faith gets weak. That's when our prayers begin to diminish and get fewer and fewer and weaker and weaker until sometimes people, even Christians, get to the place where they don't pray at all and the enemy has them where they want them. When our natural human reasoning takes precedence over spiritual thinking, then that is not a good thing because the natural human reasoning can get to the point where it will dominate our life. And then we are back in the same boat we were in before we were saved. It is vital. It is so important. I cannot impress to you this afternoon how important it is that you have a keen spiritual discernment. As, as Paul prayed for the people at the church in Ephesus, he said, I pray that you would understand what the will of God is and, and spiritual things. And I, I'm paraphrasing it. You need to train yourself in, in your spirit that when things of life happen, and life happens, doesn't it, to all of us, that when things happen in your life, you need to train yourself so that no matter what happens, the first thing that flashes through your mind is, what does God say in his word? You know, a lot of times, instead of acting on God's word, uh, we may even know what it says, but we, we just mentally assent to it. That means... Well, we, we believe it. We, in our mind, we say, yeah, that's right. That's God speaking. God never lies. I believe God's word is true. But we've got to do more than that, folks. We've got to act on it. 
James said, don't just be a hearer of the word. If you're a hearer of the word, you ain't going to make it. You're not going to get your prayers answered. In fact, you might even be lost. He said, you've got to be a doer of the word. Put up Matthew 7, verse 24. Jesus himself said, the rain descended, or therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine. In other words, the word of God, the Bible, and does them, I will liken him, or he's like a wise man who built his house upon a rock, a firm foundation, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, the storms of life came, and it stood. It fell not because it was founded upon a rock. And we won't read it, but uh, he said in that same setting, that there was a man who built his house upon a foundation of sand, and the rains came, the winds blew, and that house was destroyed. you got to build your life on the right foundation, the Word of God. How do you do that? You do it by more than just coming to church a couple of times a week. You have to live it every day. Live the Word. Be a doer of the Word. That means apply it to your life. That means in your life situations, everything that happens, uh, God, what do you tell me in your word about this kind of situation? What do you tell me to do when this happens? How do you want me to spend my time? What do you want my affections to be towards and about? Uh, What do you want my thought life to be? All of these things are so important. If you will look in there and if you will listen to the preachers and teachers of the Word of God and you will pray about it and ask God for it to happen and give enough time to it, the Word of God can control your life and that will be the very best life you'll ever have. We have to act upon the, God, the Word of God in order to bring God's blessings uh, and results into our life. Talking about building your spiritual house, that's the real you. Look at what Jude says in his book, verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. You want your faith to work? Here's one way. That Jude says to do it, or this is part of the recipe. This is part of the formula for making your faith work. Build yourself on your holy faith. How? By praying in the Holy Ghost. We taught on Wednesday night last year, uh, I think it was 14 or 15 different Wednesday night Bible studies on this one thing, praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Spirit, which is praying in other tongues. People who don't have the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, uh, who still try to live for God, have no clue what they're missing. That's like trying to live for God and be in a relationship with God, dragging a dead leg behind you, making your way through life that way spiritually. You've got to have the Holy Ghost vibrant and alive, flowing through you, fresh, uh, I pray in the Spirit every day. It wasn't always that way, but by the grace of God, I found He led me to find that that's the best way to do it. Amen. So build the house, your spiritual house, your life 
on the foundation, the firm foundation of the Word of God and supplement that with prayer in the Spirit. There's two problems with that. Number one, some people don't even give themselves to the process of building their house spiritually or trying to grow stronger uh, spiritually. God designed us as creatures that when we follow the natural order of God's design, we grow. That's true physically and that's true spiritually. If you are not growing spiritually, then you will stagnate spiritually. And that's a tough way to live for God, and it's a tough way to keep from backsliding. Number two, second problem is most people or many people don't build on the right foundation. They build, they start out walking with God, they have a relationship with God, but you've got to do it the Bible way. That's the way that works. So your faith isn't developed to where it works just by hearing what is in the Bible. It's by you practicing the Word, being a doer of the Word. That's how your faith will grow and become strong. Let's go back to uh, John 15 and 7. One more time it says, let's look at this Scripture. I'm going to dissect it even more. Number one, he says, if you abide in me, that's uh, you getting in God. That happens first when you get saved, when you obey the plan of salvation, the new birth. That corresponds to a baby being born in the natural at birth. Then he says, number two, my words abide in you. That has to do with eating. Uh, spiritually, the Bible is called the bread of life, and we must eat it. That's what Jesus meant when he said, if you don't drink my blood and eat my flesh, you'll have none of me. He, he wasn't talking about physically. He was talking about eating spiritually the Word of God to sustain you, to help you to grow and maintain your life in God. Then he said, you can, if you do these things, ask what you will. That's prayer. That's talking to God. Uh, the Bible says that the Holy Ghost uh, is our rest, and uh, that corresponds in the natural to our body needing rest or sleep. Finally, he says, it shall be done unto you. That's exercise. That's the one that we kind of stay away from the most is exercise in the natural, in the physical. If you don't get exercise, medical uh, experts say that you're not going to be as healthy as if you do get exercise. Now, that's an overall uh, principle, but uh, it exist in the spiritual as well. You've got to exercise your faith by acting on it. Let's read through uh, an example in closing from Hebrews chapter 11. Paul was, I'm sorry, chapter 4. And I'll go quick, Brother Terry. Uh, Paul here gives the example of the children of Israel in the Old Testament who didn't make it to the promised land. Why? Because their faith wasn't working. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still holds and is offered today, let us be afraid to distrust it 
Lest any of you should think he has come too late and has come short of reaching it. This is the amplified version. It's easier to understand. For indeed we have had the glad tidings, the gospel of God, proclaimed to us just as truly as they, the Israelites of old, did when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them. They were coming out of Egypt. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not mixed with faith. That is the leaning of the entire personality on God in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness by those who heard it. Neither were they united in faith with the ones who did believe, Joshua and Caleb. Next verse, for we who have believed adhered to and trusted in and relied on God. We do enter that rest in accordance with his declaration that those who did not believe should not enter. When he said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Those who didn't believe, who didn't have faith. This he said, although his works had been completed and prepared and waiting for all who would believe from the foundation of the world. For in a certain place, that is in the Old Testament, Paul quotes here, he has said this about the seventh day. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And they forfeited their part in it, for in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. He was quoting from Psalm 95. Seeing then that the promise remains over from those past times, in other words, from the Old Testament to the New, for some to enter that rest... And those who formerly were given the good news about it and the opportunity failed to appropriate it and did not enter God's rest because of disobedience. Again, he sets a definite day, a new day. He says today and gives another opportunity of securing that rest saying through David, and then he quotes Psalm 95 again, after so long a time, and the words already quoted, today if you will hear his voice, when you hear it, do not harden your hearts. This mention of a rest was not a reference to their entering into Canaan, for if Joshua, by delivering them and leading them into Canaan, had given them rest, then God would not speak afterward about another day. Paul says he's talking about us today in the New Testament. So there is still awaiting a full and complete Sabbath rest reserved for the true people of God. For he who has once entered God's rest also has ceased from the weariness and pain of human labors, just as God rested from his labors on the seventh day from his own Finally, let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest, the place God has for us, to know and experience it for ourselves, that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience into which those in the wilderness fell. What does all that mean? Paul was just saying, just like the children of God the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, the vast majority of those who came out of Egypt who saw God's mighty miracles. I'm going to be preaching about this in the 2 o'clock service. The vast majority of them never made it to the promised land. He said that can happen to us today in the church in the New Testament, and we will not make it into God's rest forever for eternity if we are disobedient 
And what does that really mean? Disobedient to what? Disobedient to God. How do we disobey God? By disobeying his word. And did you know you can be a passive disobeyer? I mean, did you know this isn't original with me, but uh, I've heard so many preachers say it. You can be lost from a Pentecostal apostolic church pew or chair, coming to church week after week. Not everybody who comes to church every week is going to be saved. It's going to take more than church. It's going to take putting this to work in your life, obeying it. And to obey it, you got to know what it says. You're going to have to spend time in it. And then spend time in prayer saying, God, help me to do it. Amen. And you know what? If you do that, then your faith will work the way it's supposed to work. You know, it's too simple for some people. I hope it's not too simple for any of us here today. Prayer and the Word. It's that simple. Daily, weekly monthly, consistent prayer and the Word. We don't take the time. We've taken it for granted. When our heart loses its boldness towards God and our heart loses its fearlessness in acting on God's Word, then we are in spiritual danger. When our prayer life has lost its reality and its fervency, uh, and, and human thinking takes its place, and that is, oh, woe is me. And we act, and we speak, and we think, not in faith, but just the opposite. The cure for that, there's a cure, thank God, for living that kind of life, and that is to go back into the Word of God again and take your place Act on it. Get to know it. Faith is acting on God's Word. Praise God. Amen. Let's stand together. Feel the Holy Ghost. God has spoken to somebody today. I hope several somebody, somebody watching online. We're glad you folks are joining us via Facebook Live. And I encourage everyone to be not just a hearer of the Word today, but a doer. You'll be so glad you did. Your faith will work so much better if you've got the Word in you and you're acting on it. Let's pray together and ask God to help us do that. Lord, thank you for everybody that's taken part in this little Bible study this afternoon. You know what everybody needs, and now you know what everybody needs to do to respond and how we need to respond to the seed of your Word that you have planted in our hearts today. Don't let that seed, Lord, be unfruitful. We pray, don't let your word that we have heard, just as, as it is said, go in one ear and out the other. Let us take it home with us. Let us do something about it. Let us do something with it. Let us do what you want us to do with it. Let it, let it serve to help us decide today to change something that needs to be changed if that's the case 
in our life and in our spiritual walk with you and in our, our habits of, of prayer and, and partaking in the Word of God and, and acting on it. Change what needs to be changed in us, God. Change me. Change every member of this church, every guest, every person watching online. God, we all have room for improvement to grow closer to you and live more like you want us to live. And when we do that, God, the blessings will grow and increase. Help our faith to work the way you intended for it to work when you gave it to us way back at the beginning when we first started out on this journey with you through our life. Help us to do it your way, we pray, God. And we thank you for it and praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Somebody said amen. Amen. God bless you today. That concludes our service. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you and have a blessed day.